if you if you wouldn't mind, let's just quieten ourselves. Let's just present ourselves to the Lord. I hope you have already done that, but if you have not, a good opportunity right now. Let's just do that. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time in your presence. Lord, we thank you for just giving us your family, the church. Lord, and we ask that you would be glorified in this time. Lord, as we open your word to study your word, to hear from what you have to say for say to us. Lord, our hearts are listening. Here I am, Lord, speak to me. I'm listening, not to just listen, I'm listening to do. I'm listening to act on what you say. So Lord, here's my heart. Father, I ask that you would anoint me to speak as you would speak. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take the words that I say, Lord, and minister to myself too. That I would grow and move forward with what you have for me too. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Don't you just love that? That when we get to hear somebody else preach, as in myself, the guy who's dishing it out also gets to be blessed by it. I just love that. That I've, every single time I've come before the Lord and to teach, it's always been something that I've received something going away from here. So it's a wonderful thing that the Holy Spirit is the one who's the teacher. Um, just before we get started, I had a whole, I mean, as many of you know, there's, this is going to be an entire month and a bit of um, working with worship as a church. So in the mornings, we're going to be dealing with a series called Worship Matters. And that the, the, the thing is focusing on why does worship matter in the church? Okay, so that's what we're going to be doing in the mornings. And in the evenings, there's this growth session called Getting to the Heart of Worship, where we'll unpack in greater depth some of the things that we touch in the mornings. So I will try and do some intros in the morning um, and just overviews of things that God would have us do as a church. And for those of you who want to go deeper in worship, the evening classes are available. So that said, I had a really great message lined up for number one. And last night, it was about 1.15 in the morning, just before my daughter decides to wake up, um, when the Lord just gave me this one simple word. And he said, I need my church to fall in love with me. And um, it's one of those phrases that sound kind of weird, especially when you see that that's the title that I have for today. So I don't have any other slides because none of my, the rest of my slides are not relevant anymore. But at least this is what the Lord gave me to share with you this morning. He's calling for, and this was something that hit me quite personally. Um, how many of you remember the series called First Love that Alan taught on a, a while back? And we went through reading through Revelation about what God did with the churches. And this one theme kept coming back out. Return to your first love. The church of Christ needs to be prepared for a wedding. If we are called the bride of Christ and we're going to be getting ready for our wedding, we better be falling in love. 
right? And that, that was something that really hit me hard. Lord, myself, yes, I need to be placing you as my first love, but actively so. Not just as, check, you know, like I can say that my wife is the one I love, but quite, I could say that by saying the word, she's my wife. Doesn't that mean I love her? It does, right? I mean, I, I loved her enough to get married to her, right? And that's how the church often thinks. I loved him enough to call him my savior. So that obviously means that he is very important to me. But is it something I pursue on a daily basis? Is it something that I pursue as a matter of heartbeat? This heart beating in my chest beats for her. And does the church's heart beat for God? And when we start to unpack worship, the first thing we need to touch is this issue of heart, this issue of love. If we are not falling in love, if that's not our motivator, we'll find ourselves falling into a whole bunch of other things. Then it starts to become about what you think worship is, what you think this is, and what do you think that is. Does it fit well in our service? Does it fit well in your lifestyle? And God says, when you're in love with somebody, how many of you know like a lot of the rules get thrown out on what is makes sense? The makes sense category just kind of goes out the window. Why? Because you would do anything. Pretty much anything. I mean, like now Hannah and I have been married a long time where I've sometimes shared with her, you know, I really do not like doing stuff like that. There was a time when, just so you know, I mean, I'll still do it. But this is not my thing. I'm, there's very little that sort of gets me going with this thing, you know? Like it's like going and seeing museums or something. Like, like stuff which she would be into. I'm like, it's a building. I was like, bring people over and I'll spend time with people. You know, like, but, but that's something that when we were dating, I'd like, Oscar, half the dates we went on were looking at buildings. <laughs> and I would walk, talking, and we'd be spending time together and all the time looking at these old buildings. Because at the time I lived in London and England has lots of castles and other things. So she loved that. And was it me faking it? It is a genuine place of saying, oh, I love you to the point where I'm willing to invest myself in this. So when we as the church come to matters of worship, as we will unpack over the next few weeks, you will find yourself coming up against things like, hmm, that's that's for that sort of a guy. (laughs) It's not me. That's totally not me. But the one you're in love with is calling you there. So the first question we need to ask is, are you really in love? And if you're not, ask. So can we do that right now? Lord, I want to respond to your love. Awaken my love. Remember that's what we dealt with last week? Awaken my heart to know and love you more. So let's just do that together. Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, and regardless of where we are at right now, we take this opportunity to come to you and ask you for a heart. 
that beats for you. You said that you would put in us a heart of flesh, a heart that seeks you, a heart that delights in you and your laws. Lord, I ask that you would give us that heart. Let your Holy Spirit, as we heard this morning, breathe within us that everything that comes out of us will be flavored and be completely compelled by you. Lord, that our heart and our study of worship would go to a place where it's all you and none of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Aren't you thankful that we can just receive things like that just very quickly? We don't need to take a long time to do these things. So where I want to start today is why worship matters. If we are truly talking about the marks of transformation in the church of God, the transformation in the church is always in step with moving deeper in love with Jesus. If moving, if falling deeper in love with Jesus is not, a, I'm talking like a big ticket goal. You know, like in organizations, there are big ticket ideas where you're saying, this is a big thing that we need to do. In our mission statement, we have our main aim is to glorify Jesus or to exalt Jesus. What does that mean in, when you're talking in very plain terms? We're totally wrapped up in who he is. His glory, his fame, his name, who, all the things he does, all the things he says matter to us so much that we're in step with that. Right? So this is one part of our mission. And if transformation in the church is what we're really seeking, what's that going to look like? What's transformation going to look like? I'm talking to the wrong people. Looks like I've got to get this out. I'm going to start nominating people. So what does transformation in the church look like? Well, one thing I can think of is that it is a growing and deeper love right. for Christ. Personally. Absolutely. So it is a growing deeper in love personally. And this is the aspect that I'm trying to work with for the next few weeks. Personally, we all need to be growing deeper in love. Are we growing deeper in love collectively? There are things that God will have on his heart. Do you remember a teaching that we had about a year and a half ago about loving the things that he loves? If we are not a people who love the things he loves, when God opens our eyes to certain things that need to be touched in our community, loving him might mean doing those things. Whether that's your jam or not, that's what he loves. So I'm willing to go. That is why Jesus always talks about the least of these. He always talks about the broken, the hurting. Why does he talk about these things? Because these are close to his heart. So whether you're in that place of life or not, don't assume that God's going to use someone else who's in that place of life to minister to those people. Falling in love with God means falling in love with the things he does. Alright? So when we look at transformation, so even though that seems like a statement, ah, well, yeah, I know. It's something we need to be pursuing quite deliberately. It cannot be something we pursue passively. It's not going to just happen. Like I said, loving my wife, I loved her enough to get married to her. Yes, but if I'm not pursuing her, does the title wife mean anything? 
is just a term. Correct? So I want to ask us, as a church, does Savior or Lord simply mean a title that I ascribe to him, but has nothing to do with where my heart is at? So these are some serious questions that you need to ask yourself quite personally, and then as a church, how we operate. What is the first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Now this was a commandment that was given in the law, right? Right at the start, when God is teaching his people his ways, he says, what is the first thing you need to do? First thing is, love the Lord. And then when someone was trying to quiz Jesus, what does Jesus bring up? He says, the greatest of all of these, or what in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the actual manuscript, it's more like the primary or the principal commandment that everything else rests upon is love the Lord. If loving the Lord is not at the heart of what we are doing, Everything else that we're building on top of it is not going to make sense. So this is what brings me to a little bit of what the Lord had given me. When we move as a church past the place of obligation, again, I'm going to use the same illustration. I'm obliged to do certain things for my wife. And I need to do those things, honor those things, those commitments I have made. Sure, absolutely. Isn't that a good thing for me to do? Absolutely. But how much better when I love to do it? Now, when we come to a church service, or when we come to, uh, once we are saved, and we say, oh, Jesus, you're my Savior, you're my Lord. And Bob has been confronting us over the past few weeks But what it means when you say you keep calling me Lord, you keep calling me Lord and you don't do a single thing I say. And and when you do what I say, it's like this huge task. It's like this huge burden I've placed on you. And those of us in here who are married understand this. Being married to someone the things they implicitly require of you is often like heavy. It's heavy stuff. Explicitly, people would like to think that unless you explicitly tell a man something, (laughs) he doesn't get it. But even the implicit things, like it's just part of daily life. It's, it's a pretty big commitment. But when you love and you carry the person's heart, both one another, you start to find yourself being drawn closer to one another and you find yourself moving in step with each other. For those of you who are kids here, for those of you who are teenagers, when you carry your parents' hearts, God has given you your parent for a reason. Not that you could just say, or they don't understand me, or this is my life and I can live it the way I want to. God is calling you. He places us in families for this reason. That we get closer and learn to humble ourselves. Learn to do it gladly. Because guess what? If you can do that with people who you really love, 
When God calls you to submit and follow and do gladly things out there in the real world when people don't like you, you'll find it so much easier. Because you've learned to lay down yourself when someone actually has you in mind. And God always has you in mind. So whenever he draws you into something that seems a little bit, this is so hard, why is he telling me to do this? Know that his heart is for you. It's not with a heart to say, I'm going to try and put ten hoops for you to jump through, and then you've got to climb these stairs, and then you've got to do this, and then you've got to pray these many times a day, and then you've got to read these many Bible verses. If you're a really a Christian, you should be doing this, and this is what I require. And we start to get into all of that, and get all water and worked up, and forget that knowing God was the key to eternal life. That is always the center. So what is the center of the gospel? Knowing God. And how do we get to know God? Falling in love with Him. Okay? So if we were to talk about worship, I know, how many of you have seen this verse read to you, taught from, again and again and again and again, right? This is one of those verses. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. But I hope that what I'm about to share with you will help you see this in a totally different light. When we want to understand worship, you have to understand worship can only start to happen when you see something. If you're not seeing something about God, there's nothing to worship. Does that make sense? Now, if I were to adore, okay, let's put the word adoration. Now, I'm obliged to do certain things for my wife. But when my obligation turns to adoration, there are certain things that I start to notice about her. And I don't just say, yeah, you're okay. You're a woman. We got married. Got this many years under the belt. I start to notice, and when I'm falling in love, adoration brings forth certain things. I start to notice certain aspects of who she is. Her hair, her eyes. And these are all things that when you're in love with somebody, you start to notice. The little things, the big things. And that's what Jesus is calling his church into. The more you look at him, the more you spend time with him, you start to notice things about him and he says, now, respond to that. So when you, in a time of, like a meeting like today, we were worshipping and we... We saw the Lord really talk to us about the safety of his name and how great he is in the midst of whatever is going on. I mean, all of the songs we sang had that element of there could be crazy stuff going on in our lives and you are still great and you are still the one who calls me to worship. And your name is always a strong and safe place. Now, if you saw that with me, that immediately gives us something to respond to from inside. Okay? So when you see something, you respond to it. That's what adoration is. That's what worship is. So when you take all the churchy words out of worship, take all the high-fluted language that people use around worship, worship is very simply, when your attention is grabbed by something, what you say about it. So who has your attention right now? In the midst of whatever is going on in your life, 
who has your attention? What has your attention? Because whatever has your attention, you're going to start talking about. And what you talk about is worship. Okay? So now, look at this verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all your members and your faculties as a living sacrifice. Now, let's just dial that back a little bit. Now, when we see that that phrase there, I beg you, brethren, in view of all the mercies of God, we often see it as considering the fact, considering all the mercies of God, right? Offer yourself. But I want you to see it as taking full view of what the mercy of God has accomplished. I want you to take time right now to actually look at the mercy of God. The mercy that has been shown to you through the cross, in view of that mercy, present yourself. In view, as you're starting to look, as you're starting to see. Now, if you told anyone who was a Jew back in those days, seeing God was fundamental to worship. Seeing God act on their behalf in mercy was crucial to worship. Okay, now these are all things I'm touching on here and there, which we will unpack over the next few weeks. But for you to just understand this one thing in in light of this verse, if you were to worship, the sacrifice had to be consumed. There was a sacrifice that needed to be placed on the altar for each one's atonement. Without that, there was no mercy. So the moment that was put on the altar, this is the amazing thing about how God taught them to worship. They would put that animal on the altar. No one would touch it. God would burn it. Who burns it? Not us. Now we've got lights, cameras, and a whole bunch of other things to help us burn through a lot of stuff. But when worship happens, who burns it? Who consumes worship? So what is worship? If I were to say the sum, this equals to worship, offering being consumed equals worship. So in view that the offering was consumed, mercy has been given. That is the first thing they would see. All the children of Israel gathering there says, our lives depend on this. We have approached God. This offering has been placed. If God doesn't show up, guess what? Worship's not happened. More seriously, mercy has not been granted. So every time you and I come to worship, we're talking about In view of the mercy of God, I urge you, therefore, brothers, to present yourself. Because we live in this day and age, we've got so used to just strolling right in. I just do this thing. You pick some songs, let's go. I'm here, I'm ready, let's do this. Totally not taking into account in view of the mercy I come. There was an offering that was consumed. And that was Jesus. 
Jesus was consumed on my behalf. If you and I are not thinking that deliberately every single time we approach God, I would urge you to do so. Because you will find your worship life literally go out the park. Because you will come having yourself not just sprinkled clean as a matter of principle, but deliberately you say, come wash me, Lord. I come to present myself. Just like this says, I make a decisive dedication of everything that I have and everything that I am. My faculties, everything, my mind, my thinking, everything. I present it to you as a living sacrifice. And this you have called holy, devoted, consecrated, and it is well-pleasing to you. Now this is your reasonable service of spiritual worship. Do you see that there now? I want you to now, every single time you see this verse, to start looking at saying, something was not, it's not like, yeah, I know, in view of Jesus' mercy. No, Jesus took my place. If that did not happen, the rest of this is just stuff. Religious sounding stuff. So when we talk about worship, a church that recognizes that a price has been paid and a church that then is moving out of the obligation of worship to saying, oh, I just love to be in your presence. I love to be with you. So when we start to wake up in the morning, we are saying, I need to read my Bible. I've got four chapters in today's reading. And it's one of those long ones. Like I got Psalm 119 today. (laughs) You know, it's like, oh. How many of you have read through Psalm 119 in one go? It's amazing. Yeah? Now, I I can, I'll, I'll totally put my hand up. The first few times I tried that as a teenager, it totally blew me out. Like, this is like, there are way too many words and way too many lines here. And God was gracious. He took me from where I was at. I was able to deal with one alphabet at a time, so I would work with sections. And that's fine. But when you start to fall in love with somebody, it's like reading that really good book that you cannot put down. You want to know more? What happens next? What happens next? And God starts to take you on a journey of loving Him. So that's my main cry for all of us as a church. This is the main crux of what he wanted to share with you. I want my church to return to their first love. And that's a phrase we are so familiar with. Because that's a very nice church message. You know, we need to have fall in love with our Savior. He's our first love. But is he our first love? Do we chase after him with a whole heart? Or is it a passive thing that moves more, tends more, if we were really being honest, to an obligation? I'm a believer, so I must be doing these things. Some of the things God is going to bring up or unearth over these next few weeks will bring you to the place where you will suddenly find yourself at that crossroad. Wait, have I been doing this more leaning towards an obligation to do this? Because this is what believers do. Or am I really just so passionately in love with who my Savior is? The one who is coming to receive us as a bride. 
Who is he coming to receive as a bride? Us, not me. Can you say that with me? He's coming to receive us, not me. So guess what? Working with these guys, as, as enthusiastic or unenthusiastic as the person sitting next to you might seem about worshipping God, you and I have a vested interest in seeing them grow. This is why we do this. Why does the church gather together to worship? Why? Because he says, I want my people who are called by my name to come and worship. When they set aside themselves to know me, when the wedding comes, the bride has made herself ready. And then you can see in Revelation chapter 22, it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty for that water, which has no cost, but come and drink. And you see a people who are being prepared, who have a certain appetite, a certain strong desire to know the one who has called them. There's an anticipation. So sitting right here today, are you looking forward to Jesus returning? Or is that a fact that you know you have to believe? Do you, do you, see, my, do you see the difference? I'm trying to paint for you a picture between the things you know as a Christian you should know, and you're like, yeah, I'm cool with it. Or is it something that really drives who I am? I might not get another 20 years to do the things God has called me to do. I might just get tomorrow. I might just get today. And I live as if he's coming back soon. When the Bible was being written, they were like, guys, this is it. It's happening. We need to live. And we need to live like that. And then here comes, we've got it on our phone. We flip through the word and we're like, well, it's been more than 2,000 years. I mean, if he was coming, he would have done it already. And there's that sense of apathy that can set in like, oh, we got tons of time. And then you'll have all those Middle East conspiracy theorists. Oh, this hasn't happened yet. No, no, it hasn't happened yet. I'm like, dude, seriously. Stop with all the, all your ideas about what you think the end of times is going to look like. And start falling in love with Jesus. The more your focus is on loving Jesus, when these things happen, you will know that he's coming soon. So if you know he's coming soon, live like it. Do you understand? Rather than talk about how things are going to go to heck. Uh, that's often the thing that, I, that concerns me most about people who read the book of Revelation. We, we spend more time talking about the stuff than the one who is coming. And he's coming to receive his bride. So, this is where I will close. I want each of us to respond to the love that Jesus has.
respond to what he has done. Open your heart to say, Lord, I want to be someone who falls in love with you. Not just the idea of being saved by you, or the idea of, yes, I love you, Lord. Just like how in a relationship as adults that we are familiar with, we can say, I love you, or some of us might say, well, you know I do. I've heard that from my own mouth. Well, you know I love you. Well, you never told me. Well, I love you. <laughs> why, is it, why does it feel contrived? Because you haven't invested yourself in carrying the other person's heart. So that's what I'm really awakening us to this, this afternoon. Is for us to really say, we're not just in it for the Christian brownie points. Like, oh, okay, you know, if I learn more about this and I get better at this, great. You know, I'm doing, my, I'm doing a better job as a Christian. No. He wants a church who is deeply in love with him. And will you take that journey with me? Amen? Let's just respond to the Lord together. And I call the worship team up. Lord, we give ourselves to you and everything that we have. Lord, as we open this this chapter in worship and as we start to study in your word and as we open our hearts to learning how to honor you and to meet with you and to know you more. Lord, I ask that any ideas that we have of fleshly understanding, Lord, would be dropped. Lord, that we would just be wrapped up in who you are. Lord, I ask that you'd reveal yourself. Lord, you said that we will see you, that we will know you. Lord, in our hearts, I ask that you'd open the eyes of our hearts to see that, that we might truly see you and know you, that you might be Lord over every aspect of our living. We glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just worship.